This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. Good to see you in the house of God. just want to reaffirm something. I have nothing to do with those videos. <laughs> nothing. I don't censor them. So again, you can forgive those guys. I welcome all of you. If you're a guest, you're honored to have you with us. Uh, we begin again today. If you need a Bible, once you get your hand up, we'll put the Word of God in your hand. Then we'll go to the book of Luke chapter 4. And so we've been on this series, the Holy Spirit now, for several, several weeks, uh, trying to get to the conclusion here today. And so we will begin in Luke 4 again. I, I encourage you to get a Bible, get the Word of God in your hand. And so as you're turning to Luke 4, um, as human beings, humanity in itself, we, we face two great dilemmas. The first one is we all got a sin problem, <laughs> every one of us. And so the only way the sin problem would be taken care of would be through the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, his blood. And so all merits in the, in the Son. And then the second great dilemma we have is what can I do to quit repeating the sin over and over again? How many you ever been there? I've been there. And when you see that in Luke um, 24, 49, it says that you've been endued with power from on high. And so I believe that the greatest way that we begin to deal with the sin in our life is one, to get born again, but then you got to get filled with the Holy Spirit. So don't try to minimize the Spirit of God, what he's desiring to do. So we begin here in Luke 4, uh, verse number 1. Then Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now I'm just going to stop right there. What a statement. Then Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit. Hmm. He returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And so right here we see something very interesting that the Lord Jesus, he wasn't exempt from temptation. And you and me aren't going to be exempt from temptation. Same chapter, verse 14. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. Now, the, the writer here, Luke, he highlights this. He returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went through all the surrounding region. So as I read this here, here's a couple thoughts that jump out. If Jesus could have overcome temptation by himself then why did he need the Holy Spirit? And so I wonder this in your life and my life. Is that the missing ingredient in your heart and my heart to help us? It's an interesting thought. Now keep reading here, chapter 4, verse 16. So Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath and he stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Now this is Isaiah 61. And it says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he, the spirit of the Lord, has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He, the spirit of the Lord, has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to the captives. Recover sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. And to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And so as I, I read this part right here, here's another question that jumps out. 
Could the Lord Jesus, could he have fulfilled his assignment or his mission here on earth without the Holy Spirit? And if he could have, why did he need the Holy Spirit? So now we begin to see something in a whole light. The, the Lord Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit. Go to the book of Acts chapter 10. Acts 10, and, and as you're going there, I, I want to highlight what I said a minute, minute ago. Don't try to minimize the Holy Spirit. Acts 10, verse 38. It's a great noise to me hearing pages turn. I'm waiting. That's what I'm doing. I'm just waiting until I hear pages stop, okay? Acts 10, verse 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit. And with the Holy Spirit, he got power. Who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. I don't know if you read into that. But... Who anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and power? Father God himself. So it was like Father God saying, listen, Lord Jesus, in order for you to heal and set those free that needed to be healed, you're going to have to have the Holy Spirit. And it's interesting in verse 38, you see Father God, you see the Lord Jesus, and you see the Holy Spirit. So immediately we see the Trinity right there. And he ends verse 38 and he says, and God was with him. The message says he was anointed by God with the Holy Spirit and ready for action. So again, it begins to show me some things about the Lord Jesus that I believe are very significant in pertaining to the Holy Spirit. Now go to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelations chapter 1. Revelations chapter 1, tell them Pastor Stormy said hi, and they should be in church. <laughs> Revelations chapter 1. Now, we're going to read verses 4 through 6, but I, I want to I give you a thought before we go there. In Revelations 1, verse 13, it highlights the Lord Jesus in this vision and in this vision, he has this gold sash across his, his chest. The gold sash symbolizes Jesus as being the high priest. In other words, there's no higher priest than the Lord Jesus. He's the high priest. But I want you to see something, and that's the reason I, I told you that verse right there. You're going to be, begin to see something in a pattern this morning. John, uh, Revelations chapter 1 verse 4. John to the seven churches which are in Asia. Now, if you were to read Revelations 2 and 3, those chapters, he wrote seven to seven different churches. And in each one of those churches, he, he literally, his desire was for them to rebuke and to warn. But also, he said, you're going to have to remain faithful even in adversity. And he goes on to say, grace to you, peace from him, who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. 
Now, when you see the seven spirits, what this is actually talking about is the Holy Spirit actively at work in every one of those seven churches. And so he played a huge part in there. Verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the one who testifies to the truth, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and has made us, I just want to stop right there, and has made us, it doesn't say and is going to make us, it says and has made us, so that statement right there is past tense. And has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So I don't know if you realize this, but when you got born again and you came under the blood of Jesus, not only does his blood wash you from sin, but it qualifies you as a king and a priest. Now, maybe you didn't know that. But the Bible's very clear of this. And where it says the phrase, has made us, that's got a little cross-reference into 1 Peter chapter 2. So go back to your left just a little bit, just a few pages, and you'll hit 1 Peter chapter 2. And when you hit 1 Peter chapter 2, we'll begin in verse 4. Now, again... What he just said, I've made you kings and priests. This cross-reference is back there. When I see a cross-reference in my Bible, I love to follow it because it's going to give you a little bit more insight. This is going to give us great insight. Verse 4. Coming to him as to a living stone. Now, this is talking about Jesus. He was a living stone. Rejected indeed by men but chosen by God and precious. You also, comma, you also as living stones. So when you see that statement right there, living stones, literally what this is saying is that you're going to imitate Jesus while you're here on the earth. You're to be his hands, you're to be his feet, you're to be his mouth. As you are living stones or you are a building stone for the kingdom of God. Now, look what he goes on to say. You are being built up as a spiritual house. You are being built up as a spiritual house. Remember, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. A holy priesthood. Now, maybe you didn't know that, but you're a holy priesthood, so now he asks the question, why am I a holy priesthood? To offer up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through the Lord Jesus. So how do we do that? One of the ways we do that is in our worship. It's in our praise. And when I begin to do that from my heart, not just to go through the motion, not just to come in here, but we're to raise holy hands as an act of worship. We're to bow, we're to kneel, we're to shout, we're to be passionate. Same chapter, verse 9. But you are a chosen generation. That word chosen designated as one pit. You are a chosen generation. A royal priesthood. 
A holy nation, his own special people are a peculiar people that you may proclaim the priest of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I don't know if you understood all that or you were aware of that, but understand this, that when you give your heart to Jesus, you become a royal priesthood. You said, not me. Oh, yes, you. Every one of us in here because he addressed this to every one of us. Now, the rest of this morning, I want you to go with me to the book of Ezekiel chapter 44. Ezekiel chapter 44, and you're going backwards in your Bible. And um, if you've gone to Jeremiah or Isaiah, you've gone just a little too far. Go back to your right. Ezekiel 44. Now, as you're turning to Ezekiel 44, the book of Ezekiel is from a prophet whose name is Ezekiel. His name means strengthened by God. If we were to walk out all this whole book of Ezekiel, you would find out that the Holy Spirit is woven in and out of it. Actually, it says it resembles the book of John in the New Testament. Some theologians say this about the Ezekiel, that it is the acts of the apostles in the Old Testament. And so when you begin to look at Ezekiel's life, this is a book or even a man that was filled with the Holy Spirit. And what we're going at in this passage is Ezekiel here, he looks prophetically into the end time church where we're living at right now. Now to help you walk through this just a little bit, in this chapter, you're going to see two priesthoods that are represented here, okay? The first one is a man named Eli. If you really ever want to dig in and find out where my study's been, in 1 Samuel chapter uh, 2, 3, and 4, you can study this man named Eli. Eli was the priest. He had two sons, one named Hophni and the other Phinehas. They were very unfaithful to God, even though they were priests. They were the description of be driven by their flesh. The other priesthood that's mentioned in Ezekiel 44 is the priesthood of Zadok. Now, Zadok was very faithful. And when you begin to study Zadok's life, the priesthood there, they were led by the Spirit of God over and over. So we're going to dive into this because I believe this is so important because your life and my life is going to resemble one of the two. Ezekiel 44, verse 6. Verse 4. Let's just turn verse 4. Also, he brought me up by the way of the north gate to the front of the temple. So I looked, and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord, and I fell on my face. Now, this is what's happened to Ezekiel, okay? This is, he's in this dream, this vision. And the Lord said to me, son of man, mark well. See with your eyes and hear with your ears all that I say to you concerning all the ordinance of the house of the Lord and all its laws. Mark well who may enter the house and all who go out from the sanctuary. Verse 6. If you're a highlighter, begin to get ready to highlight, okay? 
Now say to the rebellious, to the house of Israel. So you know what he just says to us there? There's people within the church that are rebellious. Not a good description. He goes on to say, Thus says the Lord God, O house of Israel, let us have no more of all your abominations. One translation says that you allowed pollution. The word abomination, we better be careful how I pronounce that. It's, it's rooted in, in in-depth sin. I mean, it's great sin, okay? And so he deals with them immediately. Verse 7. When you brought in foreigners uncircumcised in heart and uncircumcised in the flesh. Now, when it says uncircumcised in the heart, they didn't have the Spirit of God within their heart. They weren't being led by their spirit. And when he says they were uncircumcised in their flesh, you know what that means? They were dominated by their flesh. Now, if you were here a week ago, we dealt with that in Romans 8 and again in Galatians 5. It says you're either going to gravitate to the spirit or you're going to gravitate to the flesh. And so this was a problem back then even. And he's saying that even to our time. This is an end time prophecy toward the church. And so he goes on to say, to be in my sanctuary to defile it. My house, and when you offered my food, the fat and the blood, then they broke my covenant because of all your abominations. Now, I'm going to deal with that phrase, the fat and the blood, because it comes back in here to play again in a minute. Verse 8. And you have not kept charge of my holy things, but you have set others to keep charge of my sanctuary for you. So literally what I believe was taking place here they weren't aware who were they were given the pulpit of God to or even the things of God to. They were, letting, they were letting anybody be in there. And so you know what this showed me about what he's talking about? They weren't right themselves. They really were so lukewarm as like, you can do whatever you want. And so what I believe begins to happen because they, they would not allow the Spirit of God to move there was no conviction of sin. And when there's no conviction of sin, you might as well get ready. It's going to get bad real quick. Verse 9. Thus says the Lord God, no foreigners, uncircumcised in heart or uncircumcised in flesh, shall enter my sanctuary, including any foreigner who is among the children of Israel. He was dealing with how casual they were. And the Levites, who were the priests, who went far from me when Israel went astray, who strayed away from me, and they went after idols, they shall bear their iniquity. Now this is talking about the priesthood of Eli. They went away, and if you'll notice what he said there again, he said, they went after my idols, and because of that, they shall bear my iniquity. Keep reading. Yet they shall be ministers in my sanctuary. As gatekeepers of the house, and ministers of the house, they shall slay the burnt offering, the sacrifice of the people, and they shall stand before them to minister to them. Verse 12. Because they ministered to them before their idols, and they caused the house of Israel to fall into iniquities. 
So when you begin to look at verse 12, two major problems. The idols, and they fell into iniquity. If you notice, stuffed right in between those two words is he said to them, you were the cause. So when we look at the word idols, many times right now in our society, we have the thought, that's not relevant. That's primitive. We don't have problems with idols. Well, let me define an idol for you. Is anything in this life a someone or a something that you substitute in place of God? Oh, pastor, we don't have problems with idols. Do we worship the music industry? Do we worship Hollywood? Do we worship riches? Now, I'm really going to jab us this morning. I would be willing to bet at least half of us in here, we screamed our head off over a basketball game last night. Guilty. God's not against us watching a basketball game. What God is against when I have more passion for a basketball game than I do for the things of God. And it's very easy to scream and yell and hoot and holler, standing ovation, poke the TV screen and tell the ref that's a terrible call. You do that, Pastor? Oh, I do. I'm passionate. I'm a passionate winner and I'm a horrible loser. But see, again, that breaks his heart. And the second area, he said, your idols were the cause and your iniquities. The word iniquity is sin also. So if we were to go back and look at this guy named Eli... Eli was the priest, but Eli wasn't a real man of God. Eli compromised. Eli was soft on sin. Eli was slothful. And so when I look at Eli's life, because he wasn't a godly priest in his private or at home, it spilled out into his public. And Eli didn't have the guts to tell his boys to knock it off. And so as I looked at that right there, here's the thought. What type of priest are you at home? Do you tell your children the truth? But Eli wouldn't do it. And so because he wouldn't confront him, his boys were described as vile, as obscene, as corrupt, they were thieves, they were liars, but also they got crazy over into sexual sin. These guys were the leaders of the temple, and guess what would happen? Women would come to the altar, they would come to the house of God to bring their sacrifices, their worship, and these two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, you know what they thought their job was to do? I'm going to hit on every woman that comes in here. And they did. And the daddy knew what they were doing and never would confront them. It says in 1 Samuel 2, chapter 2, 
that, that they didn't know God. And the word know there literally means they didn't fear God or they didn't obey God. And so he said to him, you're the cause. You're the cause. Back to verse 12. You're the cause, the house of Israel, to fall into iniquity. You're the stumbling block. Therefore, I have raised my hand in an oath against them, says the Lord God, that they shall bear their iniquities. Now, if you look what God said, God said, I'm going to raise my hand against you. That's the judgment of God. And several times leading up to that passage, the Bible will say this, God's desire was to kill them. That's the judgment of God. And when you look at what took place, he gave them ample room to, to repent and come back to him, but they never would. They became so hard-hearted. And that's where I begin to see they grieved the Spirit of God. They quenched the Spirit of God. They said, I don't want to be convicted of sin. I want to do my own thing. Verse 13. And they shall not come near me to minister to me as a priest nor come near any of my holy things, nor into the most holy place, but they shall bear their shame and their abominations which they have committed. God said, I'm holding you responsible. And let me paraphrase just a little bit of what happens. Israel gets into a big battle. And in one day, Finus and Hophni both die. Both of them are killed. And Eli's sitting on his porch in a rocking chair. And when word got back to him that both his sons died and the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, was captured, it said that he fell over in his rocking chair backwards and broke his neck and he died. What a great way to be remembered. Verse 14. Nevertheless, I will make them, the Levites, keep charge of the temple for all its work and for all that has to be done in it. So we read that part right there. And so my life will either resemble the Eli priesthood or, now this is where it gets good. Verse 15. But the priest, the Levites, the son of Zadok, and when I see the sons of Zadok, they were descendants of Aaron. Again, they were the righteous example of priests. And it says, the sons of Zadok, listen to this, who kept charge of my sanctuary. They were careful with who they allowed to, to lead certain things. When the children of Israel went astray from me, they shall come near me to minister to me, and they shall stand before me to offer me the fat and the blood, says the Lord God. The Zadok priesthood. So now we have to answer the question, what's the fat in the blood? When you see the word fat right there, they offered God their best. They offered God their choicest. They didn't give God their leftovers. They didn't give God their tired and weary hours. They stayed up and watched the NCAA tournament, but when they came into the house of God, they didn't shortchange God. They said, Father God, I'm going to worship you with as much passion as I do everything else with. 
I got to give you my best, Father God. And again, God doesn't look for perfect people, but he does look for people that say, Lord, I want to worship you from my heart. I want to give you my best. I don't want to come in here casual. I don't want to treat you like I would going to a sorry movie. Lord, you're worthy of my praise. You're worthy of my worship. And then he said, the blood. Now remember in the Old Testament, the Lord Jesus hadn't shed his blood yet. So what they would have to do was they would have to sacrifice this animal and they would take the blood of that animal. Now remember when they sacrificed the animal, that animal was spotless. He was without blemish. And when you were to study the blood, what they would do with it in the book of Leviticus, you find out there was, there was specific things on how they honored the blood. If you remember in, in the book of Exodus 11, when they're leaving Egypt, remember the Lord said that the spirit of death won't come over you as long as your house is marked on the doorpost and the lintels of your house with the blood. That was very precise. He didn't say, get, get a little paintbrush and just slap it on there. No, it was to be put on in a certain way. And so when they were to offer the blood, think about this. I can come under the blood of Jesus on a daily basis. But do I downplay the blood of Jesus? Do I act like, eh, I can take it or leave it? If you go back and you think about the blood of Jesus, this is in 1 Peter 2. It said the blood of Jesus is precious. We weren't redeemed with corruptible things. We were redeemed with incorruptible, the blood of the lamb. There is no substitute for the blood of the lamb. And I believe personally, we need to come under the blood every day. And this is the way I come. Lord Jesus, I receive your blood today. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I, I honor the blood. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for what. And so right here, he tells these godly priests, these priests of Zadok, he said, bring me your best. Bring me your choicest worship. You know, one of the greatest things you can do on a Sunday morning when you wake up on Sunday morning is not say, oh, crap, I got to go to church again. And crap's in the Greek for some of you. But I wake up and I say, Lord, I give you give my best today. I want to worship. I want to come before you. I want to welcome the things of Jesus. Verse 15. Verse 16. They shall enter my sanctuary and they shall come near my table to minister to me and they shall keep my charge. And to keep the charge was to teach the people the difference between holy and unholy. To discern between the things that were unclean and clean. And so when I look at this all, I have to ask myself this question. Which priesthood do I resemble more? The good thing today is I can gravitate toward the Zadok priesthood. I can repent of my sin and say, Lord, I need a fresh start today. I need the things of heaven. But when I look at the, whole, the, the high priest, the Lord Jesus, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. 
And so I think about this in there, that the Holy Spirit, he, he compels me to holy living. He compels me to holy conversation. He compels me to a holy lifestyle. And I want to yield to the Holy Spirit. I want to be a, a royal priesthood. I want to call out to God, but I can tell you this today. I don't believe you'll achieve that without the Holy Spirit. And I stand before you again and say, don't minimize the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't do weird things. People do weird things. And, and the Holy Spirit gets blamed for people's goofiness. A bunch of fruit of the looms, a bunch of nuts and flakes. That's not the Holy Spirit I know. He's, he's a perfect gentleman. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.